You're listening to a Sovereign Hope Church podcast with pastor and teaching elder Adam Vinson. All right, so thank you so much for being here today. Uh, obviously, this is not something that I do very often, but I'm very thankful for the opportunity to do it. And really, with how the events have unfolded today, with Adam Vinson having to be out, um, it just shows that the Lord had planned for this Sunday to look like this a long time ago. And so that helps me feel even at peace about what I'm going to deliver to you today because this was, this was needed today. Um, so I pray that it would be needed for our souls as well. Um, I'm going to set a timer because <laughs> you know me, I'm, I'm going to go over if, unless I do that. So I'm going to set a timer over here just so I can kind of keep track of what time it is. Um, and then we're going to jump right into this. But before we do, I have something kind of random to ask you to do. If you've got paper and you're taking notes, then I want you to put your pen on the paper, getting ready to write something. If you don't have anything to write with, then I just want you to take and get ready to take like a mental picture. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a question. And the first thing that comes to your mind, I want you to take a snapshot. Don't overthink it. Don't change it. Like, don't be like, oh, and, and think it and then change it again. Just, I just want to know what the first thing that comes to mind. And I'm not going to even ask you to tell anybody this. So this is just between you and yourself. Ready? Here's the question. Ready? If you could go back in time, what would you invest in? Don't change it. I know you're changing it right now. Don't do that. Don't change it. If you could go back in time, what would you invest in? Okay, and after you've written that down or taken that little picture, however good or silly it might be, store it away. We'll come back to that later. So today we're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 19 through 23. Uh, This is going to be the next section in the Sermon on the Mount. I'm really thankful that God kind of ordained this for me to teach on this text because it's probably not a text that I would have selected myself. Um, I would have chosen a text if Adam said, hey, preach, I would have went to the Psalms or uh, taught on worship or something that feels a little bit more natural to how my mind works. Or go to the New Testament and, and teach through a passage that's kind of organized thought by thought. But here in the Sermon on the Mount, especially in this section, uh, this was really challenging for me. Um, in fact, for some reason, I've, I've done many sermons over the years, just off and on, but this is the one that I've struggled the most with, with this, this severe form of like writer's block. I just couldn't get it out. Um, but at the same time, I think it's because it's really open and, and, and wide um, and, and lots of different directions that we could go um, with how to apply it. So we're going to get to that. I'm going to read the text, then I'm going to pray, and then I'll throw up a, a summary sentence. Okay, so let's read it. If you're there, it's Matthew chapter 6. We're going to read 19 through 24. Jesus says, Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you darkness, how great is that darkness? 24. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. Let's pray. Father, I pray that you would just speak now through your word. God, I know that Jesus is saying these things. Um, God, I just pray that you would help me say them the way that Jesus said them, that we'd be faithful to the text. God, I pray that anything unhelpful would just fall by the wayside, but things that are eternal and lasting, God, that they would take root in our heart and in our mind, and that we would be people who love uh, the things of heaven rather than the things of earth. 
God, help us to uh, place our heart's affection, as we just sang earlier this morning, uh, God, that you would be first and foremost. You would be our greatest treasure. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay, so as far as summary sentence goes, um, I'm going to make this really easy for you. I actually stole it from somebody. <laughs> it's a quote. Okay, and this quote is from Charles Spurgeon. So if you're online, you can't see it, so I'll read it to you. Um, but on the screen, it says this from Charles Spurgeon. Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. It's pretty simple, right? Might be the shortest summary sentence we've ever written. Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. Um, this is really important. I think it's really great because last week I was super convicted when Adam McLeod taught and he had that short little memorable thing that was when tempted to hide, that's probably when you should show. And when tempted to show, that's probably when you should hide. And I was just praying that God would give me something simple like that too, because that's actually been in my mind all week long. There'd been a time where I was in a conversation and about to say something that I had done. And I was like, oh wait, and that little thing came to my mind and I chose to be silent. Um, And there are also convicting points, too, in that sermon last week about ways that I am with my neighbors. I'm always tempted to hide, so those are probably the times that I should go forward and show. So this is hopefully a short thing that you can hold on to for today's passage. Hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. So if we're looking at Matthew chapter 6, there's three clear sections to me, and there are three questions that I have when I read it. One, first question is, where is my heart? That's going to be the first section. Two, what in the world does it mean to have a bad eye and do I have one? Right? And then three, who do I serve? Or where is my ultimate allegiance? Who's my master? So let's look at just the first section. Uh, This first question that we're going to look at and address is, where is my heart? Because Jesus is going to tell us in this passage where my heart is. So we're going to examine this in this text. So here on the screen and um, on the, at home, if you can't see it, it's Matthew six 19. We're going to look at the first phrase. It says, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. Okay, so I've been taught as I read through the Bible that when you come across commands, we should note them and obey them. So this is a clear command. Jesus says, do not. The trouble with this one, though, when I read it, is that unlike last week, Jesus said, do not give like in front of all these people. Instead, don't let your right hand know what your left hand is doing. Or don't pray like the Pharisees who think that they're going to be heard for all their many words. Instead, go into your closet, pray in secret. I'm like, okay, I can do that. When you fast, don't disfigure your faces. Instead, you know, don't let anyone know that that's kind of what's going on in your heart. Okay, that seems pretty clear. And then he gets to, do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth. But there's no like extra like, so do it like this. It's kind of open. And I think that that's the call for all of us today is that we're going to apply this in a lot of different ways. I'm preaching to myself today. If you guys want to listen in, that's great. If you feel convicted, cool. But I am. And I've got a lot of stuff that I need to adjust based off of my studies this week. So do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth is a command to obey. Now, if we're not careful, we're going to read that. And it's like, well, is Jesus telling us that we shouldn't uh, store up money? Like, am I allowed to have a savings account? Is it bad that I, like, keep my possessions or money in a single place? Like, what, what, what do I do? Well, this word here, uh, lay up, is actually, you know, uh, most literally translated, do not treasure up for yourself treasures. So there's this treasuring, this 
this accumulating, this piling on, this gathering and storing and stacking in a pile. Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth. But again, does that mean that I can't have a savings account? I don't think so because in this Proverbs, there's plenty of passages, and I'm not going to take the time to go to them today, but plenty of passages that talk about specifically the importance of, of making wise investments. You could talk to Ben or Dave Ramsey or people that know a lot more about that than I do, but there's tons of Proverbs that talk about using our money wisely. I think the issue here that Jesus is addressing is us laying up treasures on earth for ourselves. The problem is accumulating a bunch of stuff that we put our hopes and our dreams and our allegiance to here on earth. Because as we're going to see, it's not even really laying up treasures for yourself that's the problem. Because he's about to tell us, lay up treasure for yourself in heaven. I don't know why the screen's doing that, so just try to ignore it. Um, So here we go. What does it mean, what it doesn't mean? I think it's clear we're not to lay up treasures for ourselves here on earth. Um, And then Jesus gives us a why. He doesn't just tell us, obey this command because I said so. He says, let me tell you, obey this command, but here's a reason. Moths destroy your stuff when you store it up, your clothing. Rust destroys, thieves break in and steal. If you think about it, there's a, this is a common sense argument, right? Don't lay up stuff here on earth because it's fleeting and it doesn't last. Okay, don't lay up stuff for yourself here on earth because it doesn't last. Okay, that's, that's clear what Jesus says. Think about it like a flower that's plucked out of the ground. It's beautiful. It's great. God's given it to us to enjoy, but it's immediately when it's plucked, already perishing. In fact, before you pluck it, it's already perishing. This is just how things are on this earth. All things will eventually perish. Let's look at this passage here in 1 Timothy 6, 6 through 8. It says, But godliness with contentment is great gain. We brought nothing into the world, and we cannot take anything out of the world. So that's clear. If you didn't know that, newsflash, you didn't come into the world with anything, and when you leave, you can't take anything with you. Right? So no matter how much you've accumulated, the stuff, the possessions, your money, your treasures, all of, it will, all of it will be left. I was reading in a commentary somewhere, and they had an illustration where they asked the man, some man died, and a friend asked, how much did he leave behind? And the person responded, all of it. Right? None of it can follow you into the next life. All of it is left. You cannot take anything with you. But if we have food and clothing, Paul says, with these we will be content. These are our basic needs. And we're going to find out next week when Marcus preaches that Jesus even promises to give us these basic needs. Next, this is a parable in Luke 12. He said to his disciples, the land of a rich man produced plentifully. And he thought to himself, what shall I do? For I have nowhere to store my crops. He said, I know, I will do this. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all of my grain and all of my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul is required of you, and the things you've prepared, whose will they be? So is the one who lays up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. Hopefully you can see that there's a connection here, that it's not the fact that we're you know, making money, we go to our jobs, we, we earn a living, we have things that God allows us to enjoy. But it's this storing up for ourselves, our putting our trust and our, our, um, our allegiance to our things, earthly things. 
This guy said, man, I've got a lot of stuff. What am I going to do? I might as well build bigger things to hold more of my stuff. And God's like, that's really foolish because you're going to die tonight and you can't keep any of that with you. Who's are they going to be? All that hard work, it's going to belong to somebody else. So it is with anyone who lays up for himself treasure here and is not rich towards God. That's that second half of the phrase that we'll look at. Here's a warning passage in James 5 that uh, James is calling out the rich, and he says, Come now, you rich. Weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted. Your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded, and their corrosion will be evidence against you. You've lived on earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. So one quick thing about how people in the text that Jesus is talking to, he's talking to people that would have heard this word and they would have seen two things. One, they would have seen this in the lives of the Pharisees. The Pharisees would have been people that would have been accumulating a lot of material stuff and been proud about it. And in fact, had even convinced themselves that material possession was evidences of God's approval on their life. So they would have accumulated a bunch of stuff and people would have seen, what is Jesus talking about? I I thought the wealthy, the ones that had all the stuff were the ones that were the most godly. But then two, this, this doesn't speak just to the Pharisees. This speaks to all of us and to all people because as he makes this turn and says, don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth, he's going to take a path and he's going to cover two big issues that all of us are tempted towards. One, worldliness and materialism. But then two, anxiousness and anxiety. And that's what Marcus is going to cover next week. Things don't last, so we need to treat them as such. I think Adam taught us this years and years ago, or I heard it in some other sermon. I couldn't remember it, couldn't find it. But it is a good illustration. You're thinking about the Civil War. You're thinking about the South. You know, they lost, and there was Confederate cash, right? A person that would have stockpiled a bunch of Confederate cash would have been wealthy in their mindset. But when that war was won, that Confederate cash is worthless, right? So it would have been a fool's errand to stockpile and store up treasures for yourself, only ultimately to find out that it's not really worth anything. And that's what we're talking about. That's what Jesus, I think, is talking about. The main point here is if you try to keep it, you will lose it. That's a short thing, right? You try to keep it, you're going to lose it. Right? We need to instead hold everything in our life with open hands, realizing everything that we've been given is a good gift given to God to be enjoyed, but it's not ours. God gave it to us to steward and to hold with open hands. We just sang that this morning, how rich a treasure we possess. The sum of all created things are worthless in compare. For our inheritance is him whose praise angels declare. Next line in our text. Do not lay up for yourself treasures on earth, where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, and thieves don't break in and steal. So good news is, Our heavenly treasures, however we're going to lay them up and figure out how to do that, they're not open to corrosion or destruction or robbery. Now think about this, like in the Jewish time, they would have accumulated stuff and it would probably have been their garments, their clothing, it would have been their grain, uh, things that like the guy with the barn, lots of things that he would have held onto, and then their gold or their precious metals or their stones, things like that. There's, There's an issue, Jesus is saying, with each of those things. Moths eat up your garments. This rust, which isn't necessarily to be thought of like how we think of rust and metal. It's more translated like an eating. So it's like mice and and vermins and worms eating your grain. 
And then thieves, they break through and steal. They either dig through the side of your house and steal your gold, or if you've went out and buried your treasure in the ground, they'll watch you and then go dig it up and steal it from you. But notice that it's not usually the case that moths are eating the clothes that we're wearing, right? That would be really freaky if that was, right? We're always walking outside and fighting off moths that are trying to eat our clothes. It's the ones that are stored away for ourselves that we're trying to save up. And moths can kind of get into that. So we've made mothballs, right? Then there's also the vermins that eat away the grain. Again, it's not usually the food that you're eating or that you need for the day. It's the stuff that you've stored away. And so we've made rat poison and other things like that to try to keep the mice and the critters away. And then lastly, it's not usually, and it sometimes it is, but it's not usually the possessions you have on person that are stolen. It's the things that we're trying to store away and lock away. And so we've created safes and bur- burglar alarms and things like that. Good news is Jesus says when you store up treasures in heaven, you don't need any of those things because there's nothing like that that's seeking to take away the treasure that you've invested in heaven. So great, how do I do that? If there's like a heavenly treasury, how do I get my stuff in heaven? Well, that's the first problem. It's not talking about our stuff. Again, we can't take that with us. There's got to be some other type of treasure that we can invest and put away that will actually last for eternity. 1 Timothy six, seventeen through 19 says this, As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty or prideful, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God, who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So there we have it again. God gives us blessings for the purpose of enjoying them. That's great. But we're called to not set our hope on them because they're certainly uncertain. Very uncertain. We're not to set our hope and our treasure too much on that. They are to do good instead, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future. Okay, so there's our clue. Instead of holding on to our riches, Jesus, or I'm sorry, Paul, actually Jesus through Paul, says they are to do good. We are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share. So there is a connection with our money and our possessions that as we give them into the lives of other people, we're actually investing in heavenly treasures. Okay, I can get behind that. Now I can kind of see how I might lay up these heavenly unseen treasures. I'm going to actually take my worldly treasures that I have here, and I'm not going to trust in them. I'm going to keep them with an open hand, not clinch them, and I'm going to allow them to be used in people's lives, and that is going to be something that will last eternally. Rather, the flip side is I'm going to hold on to my stuff, and I'm going to clinch it really tightly, and I'm going to die clinching it, and I'll let go of it then, and I won't take it with me. There's that, this, this mental picture, right? We come into this world, this world as babies and we're just like crying with our fists clenched and when we die, we let go. What if we learn to let go before we die, right? That's the idea, is that storing up treasures in heaven. Here's something in Proverbs 19, 17. Whoever is generous to the poor lends to the Lord and he will repay him for his deed. So I'm not calling you, God's not calling us to just give away all of our stuff for one. He'll call the rich young ruler to do that in a second. We'll look at him. But his other disciples, he's calling them to trust him and to follow him. And they will do that. But he doesn't just say, do it because I said so. He's even promising reward. Remember McLeod last week, he said, when you give, give in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. 
if you want to like settle for man's praise, then go for it. You'll get it. But as McLeod told us last week, there's a better reward that we could hold on to. Prayer. Pray in secret and your Father will reward you. Whoever's generous to the poor lends to the Lord and God will repay him. So I think that's where Jesus says, the problem's not laying up treasures for yourself. Lay them up for yourself, but lay them up in the right place. Lay them up in the right place. Um, I was thinking about uh, Stephen and Jennifer Folker when we were in early discussions about how to support them as missionaries in um, the country that they're in, the Czech Republic. Uh, The name escapes me. Yeah. When we were thinking about how to support them, at first we were like, well, do they need our support because they're IMB missionaries? Their, their needs are taken care of through the IMB. Could our money be used to go somewhere else that's maybe more needed? But in discussions with them, they were able to tell us like, yes, it's true. Their needs are taken care of by, by the IMB, but there's not a lot of overage that allows them to do a lot of things that they are on the ground seeing that need to be done. That anything that our church would be able to contribute would be coming to them and then through them in order to accomplish various things for ministry. And I thought that that was so cool as I was thinking about this this weekend is that missionaries, I mean, obviously there are missionaries out there that are obviously human and sinful too that could be bad stewards of money. But for the most part, they receive support only then to allow it to pass on into ministry. Like Stephen and Jennifer aren't, aren't taking the money that we're sending them monthly and either A, storing it away for themselves, to spend on themselves, or be storing it away just in case they experience some, you know, big bad event in the future, right? They're trusting God, and they're taking funds, and they're allowing them to funnel right through to someone else. John Wesley is someone that lived in the 1700s, and he is known uh, with his brother writing hymns and writing sermons. Through all of his publications, as I read and studied, I didn't know this, he, he became pretty wealthy, pretty wealthy through his stuff. But when he died, it was said that the only thing that he left behind was a few coins that were found in his jacket. It's crazy. He was really, really wealthy, but where did it all go? John Wesley says this, oh, leave nothing behind you. Send all you have before you into a better world. Lend it, lend it all to the Lord, and it shall be paid to you again. That's really cool. I don't have that perspective, though. I need some adjustment this week. I do not have that perspective. Um, and so I will tell you someone that did was my granddad. I know Cortland will remember. Uh, my granddad was someone that invested a lot into the lives of other people, into the lives of his church, and he served with no money, no thanks all the time. He was always behind the scenes serving. And when he died, um, my grandmother lived on for a few more years, but when she passed away, she had written a note to all of her kids and basically apologized, saying, hey, I'm really sorry that we don't have a lot to leave you. We don't have like any major, major stuff to leave you. That's really because your granddad kind of just gave it all away, right? He, he just kept giving it to people that would break down out on the road in front of the house and, and stuff. We just kind of lived with an open hand. And like my granddad is really an inspiration to me of what it looks like to lay up treasures because someone that, you know, he, he probably didn't have a lot while he was here, but I'm confident that my granddad has a very full bank account in heaven, a very, very full account that he's laid up treasures in heaven, investing into other people. Now, the biggest reason that Jesus, those are like practical common sense reason, like don't store stuff here because things will eat it and like they don't last and they'll break down and, and go away. I mean, think about it. Like this iPhone was cool like a couple years ago and now it's like outdated. And in a few more years, like this will be like basically free. 
You know, like the things that we think are awesome in a couple of years are not anymore. The cars that we once bought when they were new are breaking down and, and the houses that were once new are, are breaking down and starting to rot. Like I, I do woodworking, so I get this. You don't put a lot of hope and investment in uh, your projects long term because there's just age that's going to, to attack them. It's doing whatever you can to try to prolong that. Again, though, it's just understanding that there's nothing here that will last. But Jesus gives us a bigger reason than that. He says, where your treasure is, your heart will be there too. So this is like a heart barometer. You want to know where your heart is? Look where your treasure is, and there's your heart. And that's what's really convicting to me because it's like, hey, open up my bank account. Where's my money coming? Where's my money going? Well, there's a lot of ways we try to keep our funds and our possessions and our time and our resources because, guys, by the way, this isn't just money. I know I'm saying that because I believe that's the context of what Jesus is talking about. But there's some, in, some of you in here that are like, I've got no problem with money, but I'm unwilling to give any of my time to anyone, right? So let's just hold whatever you're treasuring. The point is, your heart is there too. John Wesley, again, says, it's not how much money will I give to God, but how much of God's money am I going to keep for myself? You could substitute time, resources, energy, whatever it is that you may be treasuring. So now let me go back and ask you, um, not to make you feel bad, (laughs) what did you write down at the very beginning? If you could go back in time, what would you invest in? What was the first thing that came to mind? I'll tell you what mine was, okay? Mine was, ah, pre-COVID, Amazon. Pre-COVID, Zoom, right? I mean, I'd be like wealthy if I just invested in these things. And as I was studying this week, that came back to my mind, like, why, why is it that immediately when I asked myself that question, something material or not lasting was the first thing to come to my mind? And again, it's not sinful that it did, but what's convicting is that my heart wasn't, man, I should have invested in Zoom. That would have been really nice because then I would have had a lot more money to invest in other people or invest in the kingdom. My, my kind of like initial response is, man, I just had a lot more that I would have, I don't know, stored away or stored up or kind of gathered together. Sure wish I had gotten on that train. You know, that's what my thought process is. Whereas when I start to think about it and I start to humble myself and start thinking, okay, what is truly valuable? As I mentioned my granddad earlier, I really wish if I had gone back in time, I could invest into conversations with him. People, right? These are the things that will last. The money that we have will be spent on certain things and will be forgotten which is why it's really cool when God tells us to give. It might feel like a sacrifice when you give and invest in somebody's life, but years down the road, you're not going to, it's not going to be a problem. God's going to have provided for you again. And those memories and those, uh, that intentional effort into someone else's life will last. Again, it's not how much will I give to God, but how much will I keep for myself? Okay, good. Moving right along. Don't forget, hold everything earthly with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like Grip. That's our kind of theme here. Next question, and these will go a little bit quicker. Do I have a bad eye? I don't know. I mean, some of you in here do have bad eyes, and you have contacts and glasses to try to improve that. But is that what's talking about in the scripture? I don't know. When I first read this, when we did Matthew 6 for our D group a couple months ago, when I got to this part, I was like, oh, yeah, treasure, treasure. I'm not sure. Oh, masters, and went right, skipped it. I don't know what Jesus is talking about here. 
But just like I stopped and illustrated my point with like Confederate cash or my granddad, Jesus is illustrating what he's talking about with this whole good eye, bad eye thing. Let's read it. Matthew 6, 22, he says, the eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then the light is in you, darkness, how great is that darkness? Okay, everybody do something for me. Just close your eyes. What do you see? Nothing. Open them. What do you see? Everything. Close them again. Darkness. Open. Darkness. Okay, Jesus was picking a really simple illustration. Okay, if your eye is messed up, if there's something wrong with it, if you've been blinded or it's broken, right, there is no light that enters your body, right? We are able to walk where we need to walk. We're able to go where we need to go because we see. But the moment that we don't see anymore, man, we're stumbling around. And so Jesus is going to make a spiritual parallel here about this bad eye. But what does it have to do with materialism or money or possessions? That's where I'm really thankful for people like Adam McLeod in our D group who studied it more than I did that day and went to a particular passage and saw a tiny footnote that helped him understand it better. And it changed the way that I'll always think about this next passage. In the book of Matthew, just a couple of chapters later in chapter 20, Jesus is going to tell a parable of a man that goes out and hires different people to work for him. He's going to start in the, the beginning of the day and say, hey, you, I'll pay you a denarius, a day's wage to work for me. And then he's going to go out at like 10 a.m. and say, hey, you over there, I'll pay you a day's wage. 1 p.m., 5 p.m., like the last hour of the workday, I'll pay you a day's wage. And then he gathers everybody together and it's about time to pay them. He starts with the guy that he hired last and he gives them a day's wage of pay, right? The guy at the front of the line is thinking, this is about to be awesome, right? That guy just got paid a day's wage for an hour. I'm going to get paid like so much more. But then when he gets down to it, he gives that guy a day's wage. And the guy complains. Why in the world does he get, like my kids do all this, but I, they have one, like why can't I? Like all of this, this isn't right. And this is how Jesus responds, or the guy in the parable responds. He replied to them, friend, I'm not doing you any wrong. Did you not agree with me for a denarius? Take what belongs to you and go. I choose to give to this last worker as I give to you. Am I not allowed to do what I choose with what belongs to me? Or do you begrudge my generosity? Do you begrudge my generosity? If you're looking at your text, there's a little footnote there that says, do you begrudge my generosity? And it says, or do you have a bad eye? Oh, okay. So having a bad eye has something about being really stingy and like not wanting to see things open-handed and willing to let go. It's more clung and tightly clung to. This is what it means by bad eye. In fact, there's another one in Proverbs 23. Do not eat the bread of a man who is stingy. Footnote, don't eat the bread of somebody that's got a bad eye. Do not desire his delicacies, for he's like one who's inwardly calculating. He's sure he's saying, yeah, come on, eat and drink, but he is not with you in his heart. There's a disconnect. His, his stinginess, his clinging to his stuff, he's not okay with you in his heart. He's got a bad eye. So Deuteronomy 15, the last thing I'll point out about this, he just says, in the seventh year, don't have this unworthy thought in your heart and say, and your eye look grudgingly on your poor brother and give him nothing. Don't let your heart be grudging when you give to him. Instead, at the end, open wide your hand to your brother in need. So do I have a bad eye? Well, it depends. Am I stingy with my stuff? 
Let me ask the kids in here too, and the parents, of course, will know this too. Have you ever read the Christmas Carol story? It's called a Christmas Carol, right? Okay, good. I'm like blanking right now. The one with Scrooge, right? If you've seen the movie or if you've watched the, or if you've read the book, it's coming up time to do it again. That is a perfect image of someone who's got a lot of stuff stored away, and yet he's got a bad eye. Not a bad physical eye, but a bad, stingy perspective about earthly possessions, and it leads his life to be full of darkness, like straight-up darkness. You read the story, and you just feel bad thinking about Scrooge, but everything changes at the end when he learns that through his death, he can't take anything with him. It's the people that he invests in that was actually truly worth it. He then opens wide his hand, releases that clenched grip, and light enters his life. Like Bob Cratchit, I think was the other guy's name. The guy that had nothing but was happy, right? Or at least content, I should say. Because sometimes we can be content while not being happy. Okay? Um, Our church is obviously a place where I think a lot of people in here are doing this already. Ben just posted this about our finances. I think it's clear we have a lot of people in our church that are giving above and beyond what they committed to give. And it's obvious proof that they're holding fast to the things of heaven rather than things on earth. But don't be like me that read that and say, oh, that's really encouraging. Our church as a collective whole is valuing heavenly treasure rather than earthly treasure. But that might not mean that you individually or me individually are doing the same. That might mean that other people who have better perspectives about their possessions are kind of filling in the gap for us. So I've always got to be on guard against how materialism and treasures can pull at me and seek to grab me down. Um, Also, there's someone in here, I don't even know who you are, right, that the last couple of Christmases have obviously proven this to Sarah and I. We get cards in the mail with encouraging notes and financial gifts anonymously. I'm assuming that has to come from our church because we're not really involved with a lot of other people outside of my workplace or family, and I don't know many of them that might be doing that. So I'm assuming it's here, but I don't know. There are obviously people that are giving their time and their resources to serve in our church in ways without ever payment or without any recognition. There are people in our church that I do know of that whenever I went through my heart stuff, I go to the hospital and immediately are confronted with a, with a deductible and then turn around and get a PayPal notification that that same amount is now in my account. There are people that are clear that they're holding loose to the things of this world and allowing their funds and their resources to be invested in the lives of others. I know that. But at the same time, if that is you or if that has been me in the past, it doesn't mean that that will always be us moving forward. Every single day is another opportunity to choose to remind ourselves, set our minds on things above and not on things on earth. Like open wide our hands. I've tried to do this in my own life a little bit. Uh, Sarah and I have tried to be people that are opening wide our hands and investing in, in things that are eternal. And that was kind of the reason that I left Chick-fil-A. Again, it's not sinful to be at Chick-fil-A. I know there's a lot of you that are at Chick-fil-A. But for us, I made this decision to step out of Chick-fil-A and go teach at Trinity. I gave up a pension, you know, and retirement and security and more money and free food every day. And people were like, you're crazy. But to me, it was a passion that had been born inside of me, a greater desire to invest in a different way And Sarah and I have been trying to constantly remind ourselves when things have gotten hard since that decision, some things are worth more than money. Same thing with our home. 
It's not huge and extravagant. I mean, compared to the world, it is. It's very rich and wealthy. Compared to this area, it's not very much so, but our home increase has gone up and our value and people have been like, hey, you need to sell this house now. And yet we're in our neighborhood and we're thinking the people that we're around, the close proximity that we have to many of you in our church. We see Annie and Garrett walking up down the street all the time. We see Toby and Jordan as they come over. That to us is worth more than money. We try to examine that, but that doesn't mean that we're perfect at this. In fact, I do woodworking on the side and God has been blessing that this year providing lots of opportunities. And you know all of the amazing, eternal things I've done with those opportunities yet are? Zero, right? I've been just stockpiling it. I've been like, wow, this is cool. Put it right here. This is great. Another opportunity. Put it in the account. So God has really been working on me here. It doesn't matter what you've done in the past. Are you currently holding too tightly to treasures? These opportunities are coming your way. Number three, and lastly, where is my allegiance? Who is my ultimate master? Jesus says, let's be clear about all this. Bad eye, good eye, heavenly treasure, earthly treasure. Nobody can serve two masters. For either he will hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and money. He said it, I didn't. When I read it, though, I felt it. Sure, I can. I can work two jobs. I can serve two bosses. That's not what he's talking about, though. You cannot serve God and possessions. The word there is mammon. It's not just money, but it's your treasures. You cannot serve God and treasures. And so as I was studying this, it was right around the, you know, the drama of the election and stuff last week. And I was thinking, oh yeah, it does make sense that a person or a candidate running for one particular party cannot run for the other one. To run as a Democrat is to stand opposed to everything that is a Republican. To run as a Republican is to hate and stand against the other. I mean, obviously, there are attempts that are made, but you can't run as both. You're going to make your choice, and you're going to go that way. I think the convicting thing is, is that if we are tempted to have our God being our stuff, then that's that resistance that you might be feeling now as I'm talking about this, that justification of like, yeah, but God gave me that opportunity, and I'm going to use it this way, and that, just that you can feel it clenching, that tightening. That's evidence, and that's a good thing, that it's proof that we can't do both. We've got to let go and my God do it. Uh, here's a couple of warnings, and we're wrapping up. First Timothy 6, 9 and 10. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation, into a snare, into many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evils. Again, money's not the problem. It's our treasuring of it. It's through this craving that some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pangs. What's one common thing with false teaching? Money motivation, right? You name it. False teaching, money motivation. Paul says lots of people have wandered away from the faith because of this craving for earthly materialism. Demas, he said, was my, my partner in ministry in this present world, but he's deserted me because he's, he's loving the things that are here. Matthew 13, 22 is when Jesus is talking about the parable of the, 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 the seed. And he says, there's one type of seed that hears the world, hears the word and starts to grow, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke out the word and it proves unfaithful. And this is ultimately seen in that example of the rich young ruler. Again, we're kind of staying in Matthew. I think I've gotten my um, 
This is supposed to say Matthew 19, 21 through 24, but Jesus looks at this rich young ruler who comes to him, and as you know the story, he says, hey, I've, I've done all of, all of the law. Am I good to go? What else do I need to do? And Jesus says, if you want to be perfect or complete, then go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. He doesn't just tell him to get rid of his stuff because that's what Christians are supposed to do. In fact, I read a, it was really funny. I think MacArthur, somebody mentioned it in his commentary. He didn't ask all of his disciples to give up all their stuff. Mary and Martha had a house that he liked to go to. He didn't ask them to give up all their stuff, but he asked this guy to do it because this guy, his God was his possessions. But there's a promise. Don't just leave it because you're valuing the wrong thing, man. It's leave it because there's something so much better. And he's standing right in front of you. But the guy, when he heard this, went away sorrowful, rejecting that because he had great possessions. Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, only with difficulty will a rich person enter the kingdom of heaven. That's scary. Again, I tell you, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to enter the kingdom of God. His disciples come in around right after that and say, well, what about us? We left everything. And Jesus says, let it be known. There's no one that hasn't left anything that won't be repaid richly in the new kingdom. And what's impossible with man is possible with God because the next story is Zacchaeus, and I'm about to save him. He's, he's the Scrooge in the Bible, and I'm about to save him. So it's not impossible. It's actually just difficult, and we need to heed the warning. Now, as I'm kind of wrapping up here, this passage has nothing to do with the text today. I'm literally going to rip it straight out of context. But the reason why is because God used this. This was the text yesterday in my studies that hit me the hardest. I had been reading Esther to the kids at school. Uh, Every year we read through Esther, and I spend one day and we read through the whole book. My voice is like destroyed by the end of the day, but it's so awesome to see them respond to just the reading of God's word. I had a class that cheered at the end when Haman was found out to have been the guy plotting the destruction of the Jews. But right here in the middle of Esther, he comes to Esther and he says, go before the king, plead for us. And she says, there's only but one law. Anybody that goes before the king without being invited is going to be put to death. And Mordecai says to her, Esther, do not think to yourself that in the king's palace you will escape any more than all the other Jews. If you're silent at this time, relief and deliverance will rise for the Jews from another place, but you and your father's house will perish. But who knows? What if you've come to the kingdom for such a time as this? It's possible, Esther, yes. You can, you can stay hidden and you cannot stand up, but don't think that you'll get away with that. You... Don't think that you're safe in the palace. In fact, you may perish along with your father's house, but let it be known, God will bring about deliverance from somewhere else. But what if it's you? What if you've been placed in this time for such a time as this? And as I was reading that to the kids, just all of this was on my mind. And it was that, do not think that you yourself will escape anymore was some type of thing that, the God, that God just used to convict me. Like, don't think that just because you're a Christian, or because you're in Christian ministry, or because you're a Bible teacher, or you're a worship pastor, or all of these things that you can escape materialism in your life and the grip that it's seeking to have on you. And again, like he says, let it be known, Christ will come back, and the heavenly storehouses will be opened up. And you may very well be seen to have found to have been vested in a lot of stuff that just didn't really matter. But what if? What if you've been given the resources you've been given right now for such a time as this, 
for such the people that are in your lives? What if that Home Depot opportunity that came out of nowhere or this opportunity that comes over here that provides extra funds isn't just for me to store away? What if it's to be used, to be funneled through? What if it's such a time as this? I was very, very convicted by that. Last thing is that Paul in Philippians 3, we studied this in our D groups this month. Ladies just did that on Wednesday. You already know, he says, I have left all that I once thought was awesome behind because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. There's a surpassing worth that I'm leaving everything behind to go chase after. And I was talking to Charles and, and Daniel Richardson and others, McLeod, that were in our group. In our section here, it says, not that I've already obtained this or I'm already perfect, but I press on to make it my own. The little note there in the commentary for make it my own is a reaching out and grabbing it, but not just like play and tag. It's a grabbing and pulling it down and pulling it in to make it my own. Okay, and, and many of you thought that you were about to sit through an entire sermon and not hear any football analogies, but think again, okay? This is like someone chasing down that opponent, not to simply tag them, but to reach out and grab them and pull them in and down to make that man theirs. Okay, so Paul's like, this treasure that I'm seeking, everything else is rubbish in comparison to, and I'm running after it, and I'm going to grab it, and I'm going to pull it down, and I'm going to make it my own. Jim Elliott says, he is no fool who gives what he cannot keep to gain what he cannot lose. It's not foolish. It is not foolish to give away what you cannot keep. And that guy, he gave his life. That's what he was talking about. He gave his life, not just his money or his treasures, his life. We hold everything with an earthly, or hold every earthly thing with a loose hand, but grasp eternal things with a death-like grip. I'm going to ask the, the folks to come up and we're going to sing one more song together. But as they're making their way up here, I want to remind you of a couple of people that have written about these themes in their own lives. Uh, the, the hymn writer that Turn Your Eyes Upon Jesus uh, has a line in there that says, Turn your eyes upon Jesus and the things of this world will grow strangely dim in light of his glory and his grace. So if you feel that pull this morning, the things that are in your life are a really big temptation holding you, turn your eyes to Christ and watch as the things of this earth grow kind of strangely dim in comparison. Another line that we sang this morning, Riches I heed not, I don't need man's empty praise because he's our inheritance now and always. He and he only, but be first in my heart. And then there's another hymn that says, take my life and let it be consecrated for thee. And there's a line that says, take my silver and my gold, not a mite would I withhold. We want to hold things with a death-like grip. I'm gonna read this poem that inspires this song before Jordan leads us in it. This is written by C.T. Studd. It comes from uh, one of my favorite quotes. Uh, It comes from this poem. It says, Two little lines I heard one day, traveling along life's busy way, bringing conviction to my heart, and from my mind would not depart. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Oh, let my love with fervor burn, and from the world now let me turn, living for thee and thee alone bringing thee pleasure on thy throne. Only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Last verse. Only one life, yes, only one. Now let me say, thy will be done. 
And when at last I hear the call, I know I'll say, "'Twas worth it all. Only one life, twill soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you so much for the privilege and the opportunity to be able to look at your word today. God, I'm thankful for the conviction that this brings to my heart, the immediate application that I know that I need to go and do something with. I'm not providing anybody application on the screen. We're just laying out the text. We're seeing what it says. And God, now we pray that we would all be faithful to now go and do, to go and obey the command that we are called to obey, to not lay up treasures here, but to lay up treasures in heaven, to find that our heart is truly devoted to our master. God, I pray that you would help us to view everything loosely that are here on this earth, whether it's our kids, our, our homes, our cars, our stuff, our riches, but instead to, to make an investment into the future kingdom. God, thank you that Jesus is our ultimate inheritance. He's our ultimate, ultimate treasure. God, we're not seeking to serve other people so that we can lay up heavenly stuff. We know that our motivation is Christ and Christ alone. But we're thankful for the promise that you who see us in secret will reward. So let us lay up treasures for ourselves, but let us do it in the right place. We love you, Lord. It's in Christ's name we pray. Thank you for listening to the Sovereign Hope Church podcast. We trust that you've been encouraged by the word. For more information about our church, please visit our website at www.sovhope.org. Again, that's www.sovhope.org.